0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen.
1: I would like for you to use your imaginations this morning. We are here in the Eastern Daylight time zone in the morning on a Sunday. I'd like you to travel about seven time zones east, move into the evening, and go to a Thursday. It's the Thursday of what we sometimes refer to in the church as Passion Week. Our Lord Jesus has just observed the last Passover with his disciples, and has instituted a new meal called the Lord's Supper, Communion, as we often refer to it. They have now moved from that upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, perhaps uh, on the the Zion Gate side of the city, and they've wended their way through the city, out a gate, across the Kidron Valley, And have begun to ascend into that many-acred grove of olive trees called the Garden of Gethsemane. 48 weeks from yesterday, we will be in that garden again, God willing. Four weeks ago from yesterday, we were there in that garden. And so I don't have to use my imagination so very much to set the scene, but I want to go at night With no street lights, no taxis, no buses making noise on the street down below in the Kidron Valley. It's a quiet place. Maybe some birds who sing at night are singing. But our Lord Jesus and his disciples have come into the Garden of Gethsemane on this Thursday night. The events of this evening and through the night and into the next day will reveal character, will reveal the hearts of a good many people. We'll see the character of Jesus, of Judas, of Peter, James, John, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, and some others as well. I would like for this time together to be one of also introspection, where we look into our own hearts as well. Imagine yourself as a part of that scene, as one of the characters, and try to discover which character or which type of character you would have been had you been there. So come with me as we join Jesus and the eleven. Judas has now left the group, and they're there in the Garden of Gethsemane at night. And we're going to go to Mark chapter 14... And begin at verse 32. By the way, on the back of your worship guide, your bulletin today, there is an outline with some, some words left out, some blanks for you to fill in. If that is an exercise that will help you uh, stay with us and maybe carry something home from here that can be a blessing to you or to someone you might share it with, then by all means, use that. Father, I pray now that you would hide the preacher and reveal the Savior. In his name, amen. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That was Jesus, not the three. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. That would be like a little child in America saying, Daddy. Jesus calling on his heavenly Father in that way. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he, Jesus, came and found them, the three disciples, sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed Into the hands of sinners. Now the first movement in those verses that we've just shared together uh, has to do with Christ's travail in prayer. Uh, The word travail is one that's often used in relation to uh, birth pangs, labor pains, uh, about which a man knows nothing and about which many of you ladies know a great deal. And if you who do understand that word by experience or have a little understanding of it by observation, know that when Jesus travailed in prayer, it was not an easy thing. He felt the weight of sin. As I read this passage that we just shared together, I see things like greatly distressed, troubled, very sorrowful, even to death. Wishing the hour would pass from him. Remove the cup, he prayed yet not my will, but yours be done. What was it that caused such great distress and trouble and and discomfort for our Lord Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was a familiar place. Mark doesn't tell us, but John does, that they often met there. In Luke's account of this same event, he mentioned that they went to the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane as was his custom. So these were familiar surroundings. These were faithful friends. These were the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. What was it then that was causing Jesus such great distress? Dr. Luke tells us something that the others don't tell us. He tells us that Jesus' sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. Now I'm not a physician nor a medical person by any definition of that phrase, but I think this is what he experienced. I think the blood pressure of Jesus under the weight of sin rose so high that the pressure within his vascular system rose to the point where blood came through the capillaries and out through the skin. And, and great drops of blood fell from him as great drops of sweat from someone working under physical duress. Well, what was it that raised his blood pressure if if indeed that 's what happened by the way that 's lindsay 's opinion, and you can take that in fifty cents and not buy anything. Uh, take that in five dollars and go to Starbucks, get their cheapest cup of coffee. But I do believe that I do think that's That's the the correct interpretation here. So what was it? And I think it was two things. First of all, it was humanity recoiling from the suffering that he knew was coming. You see, Jesus was and is omniscient. He knew everything about everything before it ever happened. He knew what he was going to experience under the lash of the Romans... He knew what he would experience with the pressing of the crown of thorns in his brow. He knew about the beatings and the plucking out of parts of his beard. He knew about the nails and the hammer and the cross. He knew about the excruciating pain of crucifixion, one of the most, if not the most cruel methods of killing someone ever devised by a man. He knew all of that was coming, and his humanity recoiled from that suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. I'm not really sure there is such a thing as a a masochist. I have heard that there is, but I run from pain. How about you? I'm so glad God made me a guy, and I didn't have to have those two babies that are my children. I'm glad I've got a good dentist who knows how to uh, gently uh, apply Novocaine when he's going to deal with my teeth where nerves are affected. I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. And and in his humanity, Jesus no doubt recoiled from that. But there's a greater suffering here than the suffering of his body. R.G. Lee, the great Baptist pastor of the last century and, and several generations ago, often said that concerning Christ, the soul of his suffering was the suffering of his soul. What Jesus was about to do in a few hours, nailed to a cross by by hateful hands, was to have the sin of all the children of Adam, who had ever lived and would ever live, placed on his sinless soul. And he would become sin for us. One of our members posted 2 Corinthians 5.1 this week. Or was it Isaiah 53? But whichever the case was, it was about Jesus taking our sins in his body on the tree. He was made sin for us. All our iniquities on him were laid. And he was the sinless, spotless, not just virtuous, not just a good man, but the pure, impeccable, holy Son of God about to be made sin for us. I tell you, I'm sure his, his holy soul recoiled from that and yet he went through with it. Amen? Even though it was not easy, he went through with it the weight of sin. And I see here and Jesus pointed it out in verse 38. He said, "The spirit indeed is willing, Peter, James, John, I know you want to stay with me, but the flesh is weak, the weakness of the flesh, not his flesh. For he knew no weakness. But mankind has a weak flesh and and you have a sinful nature, even those of you who are born again by the by the Blood of Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work. You still have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is prone to wander, as the songwriter said. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. We need God's help to overcome the weakness of the flesh. And there in Gethsemane, I see a strong Savior And I see disciples who still have some weakness. Do you see yourself there a little bit? Uh, Somebody said to me this morning, I'll try to stay awake during the sermon. And I said, I will too. (laughs) I, I don't know that I've ever fallen asleep talking, but I have fallen asleep standing up. So if I pause for very long, somebody come shake me, okay? I see, I see Lindsay in the garden with Jesus. I see the weakness of my old nature. And so we have Christ's travail in prayer. Where does the weakness of your flesh, your sinful nature show up? Does it show up in a juicy morsel of gossip? Does it show up in greed? Does it show up in a society permeated by lust? Where where does your weakness show up? Ask for God's strength to overcome it. He will provide it. I want you to join me at verse 42, and we're going to read a little bit. We're going to deal now with the traitor's kiss. We've got Christ's travail in prayer, and now we've got Judas's traitorous kiss verses 42 and following first of all verses 42 and 3 the stealth in the darkness (laughs) you know uh, jesus taught and preached in the daylight so much and we were reading in sunday school this morning i see my teacher back there standing and we read a verse that said they wanted to seize him but they wouldn't because they feared the people but they came under the cover of darkness the stealth In the darkness, verses 42 and 3. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and elders. We visit when we go to Israel a place they call Galicantu. Uh, Gallicantu is uh, Italian for the rooster's song and uh, on the top of a church that marks that place is a a, it looks like a weather vane uh, perhaps brass and it's a rooster and uh, on the wall of the of the compound there there's a relief of these people coming in the, the dead of night to seize Jesus and to to take him away. And that leads us to verses 44 to 47, the seizing of the Savior. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And so when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and, and cut off his ear. Uh, you know what I see here? I, I see the wickedness of humanity. Here's a man, uh, Judas, who had walked with Jesus, uh, heard Jesus teach, seen him perform miracles for uh, the better part of three years, maybe a little longer than that. And, and here's Judas having betrayed Jesus and sold him, if you please, for 30 pieces of silver. And now he uses an, an emblem of affection as the demonstration of defection. That he'd gone over to the other side. And he betrays Jesus. And, and they seize Jesus. And you know what else I see here? I see Christ's willingness to be taken. If he didn't want him to and there were occasions where he didn't remember Nazareth when he made those proclamations in the in the synagogue there and they grabbed him and they took him outside the city and they were gonna throw him off a cliff and the text says something like he passing through the midst of them went on his way they just kind of had to let him go he had a like a force field he ejected their grasp and he walked away and on other occasions they picked up stones to stone him and he just would disappear and so uh, Jesus didn't have to be taken unless he was willing and the time had come both were the case his hour had come and so they seized him and now we go to verses 48 and 49 and we see the scriptures fulfilled and Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me then. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. Why did Jesus go to the cross? And I, I can give you a lot of reasons, but I want to give you two that, that just really seize my mind and heart. One is to fulfill scripture. I counted this morning with the help of a good uh, computer Bible program, uh, 40 times in the gospels in one version, maybe different in other versions, but 40 times in the gospels where the statement was made about something that Jesus did or that happened to him, that it happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He died to fulfill scriptures. I'll give you another reason that's more personal for me and and for you. He died to forgive sins. Without the shedding of blood, the writer to the Hebrews said, there is no forgiveness. And Jesus died that I might be forgiven, that you might be forgiven. And if you haven't yet, you can be, amen? Christians, do you want some folks who may be here without the savior to find the savior today? Would you be willing to sit down with them with an open Bible and show them what somebody showed you so that you could find Jesus? Be ready. I, I'd love for that occasion to happen today. So the scripture's fulfilled. And then verse 50, and we just studied this on Wednesday night, those of you who were in our class back in A7 from, from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. And Jesus uh, cites that, that text here in, in, verse, in, in uh, verse 50. Um, And they all left him and fled. The the, the text in Zechariah 13 is this. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What happened to the apostles? That brave band of men who had pledged their loyalty to Jesus. That Simon Peter who said, Others may deny you, but I won't. If I have to die with you, I'll stay truthful to you stay true to you. I will keep my word. I will be faithful to you. And what happened in the garden? They all forsook him and fled. Why? Because the scripture had said that they would, these scattered apostles. And then verses 51 and 52, we won't spend any great time there, but I believe as many do, this is the signature of Mark in this gospel. John had his signature in his gospel, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he didn't call himself by name on many, if any, occasions. But he often referred to himself that way. And I believe this is Mark's somewhat embarrassing signature in his gospel. Look at verse 51 and 2. And a young man followed him, was, was following him, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, they seized Mark. But he left the linen cloth and ran away unclothed. You know, that that had to be embarrassing to record. But apparently the Holy Spirit wanted Mark to put that in there so we would know who wrote this gospel and that this happened to Mark. You know, I'm proud of Mark for following Jesus. Probably had gone to bed, was not yet asleep, heard some ruckus in the streets, Looked out and maybe saw Jesus and, and the 11 going by and said, Hey, I, want, I know those guys. I want to go with them. And he grabbed a sheet that he was sleeping under, wrapped it around himself, and followed them to Gethsemane. And he left, left Gethsemane. And that would be, I think, his signature there. So we have Christ's travail in prayer. We have the traitor's kiss. Now, we have, we have some attorneys here today. And, and I, I don't want to say things that, that are beyond my knowledge. But I want to call, I call this next segment, verses uh, 53 to 65, a travesty of jurisprudence. What happened to Jesus that night by the laws of Israel and the laws of jurisprudence in Israel was all wrong and shouldn't have happened. But it had to, didn't it? So I could go to heaven, so you could go to heaven. Let's examine this travesty of jurisprudence. Jesus is bound; uh, he's he's carried before uh, the high priest. Let's let's jump in at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. So we see, first of all, the crowd that gathered. Here we have the man who was supposed to represent people to God, the high priest. You know, prophets represented God to people. Priests represented people to God. If you're in a high liturgical church, A very liturgical denomination, you'll see the minister's back because he's representing you to God. God being there at the altar as they would say. The prophet's face you see because he's representing God to you. This high priest was supposed to represent God but he did everything but that. So we have Annas is there, the father-in-law of the high priest. Caiaphas is there. The Sanhedrin are there. Here's Peter. We know from John's gospel that he is there. Uh, Mark may be somewhere in the shadows. There are guards. There are Roman soldiers. There was a cohort of soldiers, we're told in another gospel, the gospel of John, that had helped apprehend Jesus and bring him to this process. Surely they had not left. So there's a a pretty good-sized crowd here. And you're in that crowd. Who are you in that crowd? That's very very telling for me to think about. Examining my own heart is not always fun. I don't know me as well as God knows me, but I know me pretty well. And there are a lot of things about me that I don't like. And and introspection is a necessary but painful exercise. Would you... Would you practice that this morning? Would you look at that group there at the palace of Caiaphas and ask yourself, where where am I? Where do I fit? There's the crowd that gathered. Talk about a travesty of jurisprudence. There was a conclusion that they sought. What is a court supposed to seek? Truth, justice. Notice what they sought beginning at verse 55. Now the chief priests... And the whole council, this would be judge and jury if you please, were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They had a foregone conclusion that Jesus was guilty of something and deserved to die. Travesty of jurisprudence. This is all wrong and yet it had to happen but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony didn't agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, well, we heard him say, I'm going to destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I'm going to build another one not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. Liars. Jesus never said that. They were corrupting what he did say, he was talking about his body, and he said, you destroy this temple. You, you slay me, and in three days, I'll be back. I like that. I'll be back. On our trip to Israel this year, we had a, a young attorney friend of mine who's olive-complected, and he's let his hair grow down to his shoulders, and he has a little, a little beard and a mustache, and he looks for the world like some pictures of Jesus. And uh, he went into the tomb, and when he stepped out, I have a picture of him stepping out with his hands spread out, and he said, I'm back. (laughs) Jesus said, kill me. I'll be back. I'll rise again. Remember the Dallas Holmes song from a few decades ago? I'll rise again. And so he would. But the conclusion that they saw, they had a predisposition to slay Jesus and they wanted to try to do it with the legal system, but everything they were doing, they were doing illegally. False, disagreeing witnesses. The law said in Deuteronomy 17, 6 that you've got to have multiple witnesses agreeing for capital punishment. They didn't have that, but they did it anyway. Misrepresentation of his prophecy in John chapter 2. Well, what was the core of the matter? Verses 60 to 65, and you'll see it. I won't even have to tell you. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Why? Because they hadn't said anything that merited an answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, now that's worthy of an answer. And the heretofore silent Jesus says, I am. I love that phrase, I am. It's it's, uh, two words in English. It's actually two words in the original language. I and no other am. Just a few hours ago, when he was in the garden, I think it's John that tells us about it. And the crowd came to arrest him and he said, whom do you seek? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now the English versions say that Jesus said, I am he. There's no he there. Jesus just said, ego me, I am. None of these, leave them alone. I am. And do you know what happened to that crowd? Every one of them fell backwards and landed on the ground. He flashed his deity. He, he, he showed a spark of his power, his omnipotence. And he says it here with a different result. I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He's, he's referring to Daniel chapter, chapter 7. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And they began to, to be spitting on him and to cover his face and to, to slap him and to say, prophesy. And, and another uh, gospel tells us that they said prophesy. If you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. Blindfolded defendant. Blindfolded criminal and the guards received him with blows. This is not the way to treat a person on trial. Can you imagine if that happened in a a courtroom here in the United States? If somehow it got through and, and that defendant was convicted and sentenced on appeal, once it was known, how he was treated. He was arrested and tried outside of proper hours under the cover of darkness instead of the light of day. He was not testified against by agreeing witnesses as the law required. They took testimony from him to condemn him. None of this is acceptable in a court of law. And yet, it happened, this travesty of jurisprudence. We're going to conclude now with movement number four, verses 66 to 72, with the tragedy of Peter's denial. This place, uh, Gallicantu. Maybe sometime you'll travel with us. We'll have the privilege of taking you, perhaps some time, to Israel, and and we'll carry you to the place where the rooster sang, and we'll go down in the dungeon where Jesus was held between parts of his trial and we'll we'll sing man of sorrows what a name for the son of god who came ruined sinners to reclaim hallelujah what a savior bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood sealed my pardon with his blood hallelujah what a savior and here where the rooster sang the rooster sang because peter sang in verses 66 to 71 most of our paragraph we're going to look at the shameful denial of Peter and as Peter was below in the courtyard one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself she looked at him and said you also were with the Nazarene Jesus but he denied it saying I neither know nor understand what you mean and he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. From courageous... To coward, from faithful to faithless. Peter, drop the ball here, folks. Do you see yourself there a little bit? I remember an occasion where I was standing at a gas pump, and on the other side of the pump, there was another person, and they engaged me in conversation, or I engaged them, I don't remember. And I let the Lord down. I, I, don't, I probably never seen that person again. I don't know who they were or where they are. And you know, I didn't say a, a thing to them about him whom I'm here to represent while he's there representing me. I let him down. I didn't say I don't know him, but my silence betrayed a denial. And I say that to my shame, and I think perhaps some of you can identify this morning with, with what I'm expressing to you. Thank you for being my confessors. Do you see yourself a little bit in Peter here? The shameful denial of Peter outside that church, a beautiful, beautiful church that marks the spot we, we think was the palace of Caiaphas. There's a courtyard and in the courtyard, there's a, a statue that needs cleaning. Uh, it's copper, I think. And there it is. And, and uh, you see the fellow at the bottom? Is it clear enough that you can see he's doing this? And do you, do you see on the top of the, the, the uh, capital on the pillar, what's up there? Can you see it? It's a rooster singing. Why? Because Peter sang... And he sang the wrong song. He sang the wrong song. We go to verse 72, and the second crowing of the rooster, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Can you imagine what went through Peter's mind and heart when he heard that rooster crow the second time? He remembered what Jesus said. He had proclaimed his faithfulness his steadfastness and jesus said listen peter i know you better than you know yourself and tonight before the rooster crows twice you'll deny me thrice now they didn't have mp3 files i got had an interesting call yesterday a man whose voice betrayed him as being in his 80s and uh, he said we've lost one of our Sunday school resources and we'd like to get your Sunday school lessons you you do the same text that on the radio that we do and I said well I'm, I'll be happy to provide those do you have email he says oh yes um, and I, I said well give me your email address and he rattled it off and we double checked it I said well I'll send you these um, these notes there'll be it'll be a, a text form and you can print it out he says and I'm I'm just a 69-year-old kid. And this, this old fellow says, well, I, I was hoping you could send me the MP3 files. <laughs> I said, good for you, sir. <laughs> then I went and looked it up. So, you no, know, I know what an MP3 file is, but they didn't have MP3 files. They didn't have recording devices back in those days. But I promise you this, When that rooster crowed the second time, Peter heard the words of Jesus again ringing in his ears. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, but Luke does in his account of these events. That the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now imagine, if I were down on the lower level, I'd I'd get you to part. (laughs) Imagine there's a crowd of people. We've described quite a, a you know, 70 scribes and priests and, 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 and so forth. A cohort of soldiers. Could have been 300 and some soldiers. Uh, others around. And this crowd of people, I think, open up like the waters of the Red Sea for Moses. And there's a clear line of sight between Jesus and Peter. And he makes eye contact with Peter I remember being in a, a drugstore when I was in high school, sitting at the fountain. Some of you don't know what that is, but if your hair looks like this, you know. And I was smoking a cigarette. And I heard the, the door, the little bell on the door. My mother walked in. Thank you for laughing, I was about to cry. <laughs> I will never, as long as I live, forget the pained look on her face. And my heart was crushed. My heart was broken because I had broken her heart. She, raised, she and Daddy raised me better than that. And I think Peter saw that same look on the battered, bruised, bloody face of Jesus. And he knew he had let him down. And he'd let himself down. And that takes us to the sorrowful tears of the disciple. And he broke down. And our version says he wept. Now, I don't know how much you know about uh, languages other languages and f- v- uh, verb forms but in, in Greek which is the language this was written in originally there's a, a tense called the imperfect tense and it's a, an ongoing action when they smote Jesus it's not just a but it's a they kept on smiting Jesus when Peter wept It it wasn't just a tear trickling down his cheek and off his beard and done. He kept on sobbing. That's the Lindsay translation, but I think it's accurate. The sorrowful tears of the apostle, of the disciple, of Peter. Do, Do you see yourself somewhere in there? The events of this night did indeed reveal the secrets and the character of a good many hearts. And as we ponder these events, we are compelled to examine our own hearts. It's not enough for me to look at Peter and say, Peter, you blew it. I have to remember, there's some Simon Peter in me, too. And I don't use Peter's mistakes, Peter's sins, as an excuse to sin. And I'll tell you, don't ever do that. Because Peter repented. Do you see repentance? Do you see penitence here? He's sobbing, this grown man, this big fisherman. Tears of repentance. And and not so many days from now, Jesus is going to meet him down by the seaside. And uh, we go there at a place that is said to mark the spot where Jesus and Peter had this meeting. And where Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Not, have you been faithful to me? Not, did you keep your word, your promise? Did you stand tall in the hard times? No. he wanted to know, do you love me? And I will say to you today, the tears of repentance when we sin and hearts full of love, that's what Jesus is looking for. I see myself in these sleeping disciples in the garden. I see myself in... Simon Peter's denial, I I don't want to see myself in Judas or in Caiaphas or Annas or the Sanhedrin. But I must be honest and I want you to be honest. And, And may I say to you today, child of God, don't be afraid to look inside your heart and ask God to show you who you really are and where you are and then to ask him to place you where you need to be. Don't stay in the wrong place. Peter didn't stay there. He went back out and started following Jesus again. When you sin, repent, get up close to Jesus. Tell him you love him and then go back to serving him as, as Simon Peter did. If you're here today without my Savior, don't leave without him. Uh, 56 years ago this spring, I, I was baptized right up there because I had met Jesus as my Savior. And if you haven't met Jesus as your Savior, we want you to. We want you to join the greatest family on the face of the earth, the family of God. Amen? Father in heaven, I pray this morning for those who are your children and those who need to be your children. That you will work in all of our hearts doing that which is needed in our lives and well-pleasing to you. Father, make Christians do some self-inspection, some introspection and do some confessing. Get some things right with God and perhaps right with other people where that's necessary. And I pray if some folks came in here today that, that don't yet know that they are going to heaven, that as we close this service with this song, they will consider it our invitation, your invitation for them to come to Jesus while there's still time. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name.
0: I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey.